0: All right, well let's take the word of God this morning, and if you please turn in your Bibles uh, to the Book of Acts and chapter seven. Acts chapter seven. As you're turning there before we read in just a moment, this is the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. There was a lot of sermons. We know Paul at one particular occasion preached till midnight. I would imagine it would have been a little longer than this. But this message here is recorded for us that we might learn something from it. And it is interesting to see that this is the first uh, sermon that produced a martyr. Uh, And I'm talking about in the church. Certainly you can identify some preachers in the Old Testament, prophets who went to the nation of Israel and who were mistreated and uh, imprisoned and so on. But as far as the church is concerned and in the New Testament, we find here the first martyr of the church in Stephen Uh, We have been looking at this man who was part of the first century church in Jerusalem, and we see this man, Stephen, chosen as one of the first deacons in the church. And a summary of chapter 6 shows us several things about Stephen. First of all, we see that Stephen was of honest report. The Bible tells us in chapter 6 that he was full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of power. Uh, the Jews, we see, began to dispute with Stephen. And yet the Bible tells us that they could not resist him for two things. They could not resist his spirit, nor could they resist his wisdom. And as a result, these Jews took Stephen and they brought false witnesses with false accusations against him. They accused Stephen of speaking blasphemous words against as they mentioned in chapter 6, against Moses, against God, against the temple, and against the law. And we considered an overview of this sermon here, as we see in chapter 7, verse 1, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And uh, Stephen is going to begin his message in verse 2. And we considered an overview of this sermon in our last study entitled, Hearken. Notice what he says to them, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. He basically says, listen, uh, pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is of utmost importance. And by the way, as I look at this sermon, I'm not going to attempt to re-preach this wonderful message. Uh, This message was preached directly to the Sanhedrin Council, and so I'm not going to pretend that this audience this morning is the Sanhedrin Council. But there's only a few select sermons that are recorded, whether in whole or in part for us in the book of Acts. And I believe that the reason that these sermons are recorded is clearly because of their importance that we might learn something from them. This is part of our church history, and this is the first church martyr recorded in Scripture after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the end of this sermon, uh, Stephen, as we look at the end, the Bible says in verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so I don't know if we should call him a martyr or just the fact that he fell asleep. But we find here in chapter 7 this great sermon, and I want us to work our way through this sermon preached from Stephen. Let's read again verse 1 and 2. The Bible says in Acts 7, 1 and 2, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, brethren, and fathers hearkened the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharan and said unto him get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee show thee then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharan and from thence When his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. I would like to bring your attention this morning to the expression that marks the beginning of the sermon of Stephen in verse 2. Notice how he begins this sermon, the God of glory. That's how he begins this sermon. I want to preach this morning a message on this sermon. But considering, if you would, the direction of this sermon as a whole, I want us to consider this morning the God of glory. You know, we can break down this sermon into three parts, and and by the way, this is not the way Stephen broke it, but this is the way I'm going to break up this sermon. The first part of the sermon is what I would refer to as the preliminary remarks, where Stephen has an opportunity to respond to the Sanhedrin council, to the high priest, to the question and to say, as he says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. Those are the preliminary remarks where he seeks to get their attention, to convey to them the importance of this message, and he does so in a very respectful manner. And so we first have those preliminary remarks, but then in verse 2 he begins this sermon with, The God of glory. And this marks, if you would, the the second part of the sermon. And the second part of the sermon goes all the way to verse 50. Where Stephen is going to preach, and we know he's going to go, if you would, through an abbreviated history of the nation of Israel. But particularly, I believe it's a history of God's dealing with man. Indeed, as you look through this uh, sermon, it's not about Abraham. It's not about Isaac. It's not about Jacob. Later, it's not about Moses. Again and again, he says, God said this. God did this. It's about God. This sermon is about the God of glory. It's not indeed about any of those men. And so in this sermon... And uh, by the way, after this, in verse 51 through 53, we'll see the application. So after Stephen preaches the sermon, he comes down to the application and he turns to them. It's interesting, you see the pattern in the sermon. He keeps repeating, our fathers, our fathers, our fathers, our father. But then in verse 51, he says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So now the application sets in, and he confronts them for their sin, for their ignorance, or perhaps their misrepresentation of the history of the children of Israel, and what this is all about, and, what it, and about what it represents. But over the next few weeks, we're going to consider this message, if you would, and immediately in this message, we find that this sermon begins with God, and it ends with God. Do you remember what this uh, confrontation was about? He has spoken blasphemous thing, things against Moses, against God, against the temple, and against the law. Isn't it interesting that one of the focus of the Jews at that time was that God had to be worshipped in the temple at Jerusalem, and that no Jew could worship God outside of the temple in Jerusalem And so the Jews in Jerusalem had really a... uh, They looked down upon any other Jew who lived outside of the land and they wondered why they wouldn't come back so that they could worship God in the temple. And their idea of God was limited. And Stephen begins this sermon and he is going to begin it with God and he's going to end with God. Notice he begins by saying, The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. But notice how he begins... When he was, where is Mesopotamia, Judea? Is it Jerusalem? No. Stephen is going to begin the sermon by saying that God is not limited, and you know that in your own history, God is not limited to Jerusalem and to Judea. God indeed appeared first to Abraham, the God of glory appeared first to Abraham in Mesopotamia. And notice how he ends this sermon. Let's go and uh, look at verse um, 48. This is the end of this message. How be it, he's talking about Solomon building the house of the Lord, the temple, verse 48. How be it, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? So In this sermon, Stephen begins with the God of glory, and he again ends with a God of glory that cannot be contained. God was not contained as He began to work among this nation, namely in their father Abraham. And also God is not contained to the temple that was built for God. God is the God of glory. I want to deal with three things as we consider this thought. And again, I'm still in par dealing with this, the overview of this message as we think about the emphasis of Stephen in this sermon. I want to preach this morning on the God of glory. And the first thing we notice about the God of glory is first of all the exaltation of God. Stephen does not begin, interestingly, by addressing those false accusations. He does not begin, uh, if you would, a debate as he had been disputing early on in the temple with different Jews from different synagogues uh, as they were disputing uh, on various things. Uh, Stephen doesn't begin with disputes. He begins with where everything begins with the God of glory. He begins with an exalted view of God, and perhaps that, that is what was missing among the Sanhedrin Council, that it was what missing, uh, was missing among those uh, Jews of the day. They had a, uh, if you would, a, a small view of God or a distorted view of God. And Stephen says, The God of glory. What is church all about? I'll tell you what it is all about. It's all about the God of glory. It's not about me. It's not about you, it's about God. Uh, Hence, we we don't do things to try to, uh, to bring people in, to try to appeal to your flesh or to your emotions. We want to introduce you to the person of God, the God of the Bible, the God of glory, because that is where our attention must be drawn. The God of glory. Stephen begins with God and he ends with God, and indeed, this is where men always go wrong. In 2 Corinthians, we read this verse in Sunday School this morning, chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes and he says, For all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, in the very first chapter, we have an understanding, if you would, a, a history of how the world... Always, or how history always repeats itself. What is the trouble with man in the world? What is the, what has always been the trouble? What was the trouble during the day of Stephen? And what is the trouble today? I say to you, it is always the same. It may manifest itself in different forms, but it is always the same. Notice with me in Romans chapter one. And notice with me in verse 18, the Bible says that the wrath of God is Revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Notice verse 21. Because that when they knew God... They glorified Him not as God. What was the problem with man? Man may know God, but man goes astray when he does not glorify Him as God. What was the problem with the Jews? They, If you would, they knew God. They believed in the God of the Old Testament. But they did not glorify Him as God. Uh, Notice it goes on to say, Neither were thankful, but became thankful. Vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And here it is, verse 23, "...and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts." to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice here, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. And Stephen begins his sermon by saying, The God of glory. Let's turn our attention and exalt God for just a moment. Here, as Stephen brings the attention of the Sanhedrin council, not upon the debates, he brings the attention of the Sanhedrin council on the glory of God. What had they done? They had twisted the law of Moses. They had elevated Moses to the place of Godhood. You can't blaspheme against a man, but yet they say he blasphemed against Moses. Uh, they thought that God could only be worshipped in this temple. And by the way, all the feasts for feasts throughout the years that were to be observed uh, by the children of Israel, often uh, they would, uh, from foreign countries, come back to Jerusalem uh, for, for example, the Feast of Pentecost, and different feasts throughout the year, and they would go back. Why? Because that was the place where God could be worshipped. But it, it had been limited to the place that God could not be worshipped anywhere else but in this temple. They were not glorifying fine God as God. You know what they were worshiping indeed was not God. They were worshiping the temple. They were worshiping their system. They were worshiping Jerusalem. They were worshiping the law. They were worshiping Moses. And here he brings their attention and said, the God of glory. God needs to be exalted. God needs to be magnified. Uh, we mentioned this morning, First Timothy 6:16, 6, "The only uh, uh, who only hath immortality, God dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You see, they had a small view of God. The trouble with man is that they do not glorify God as God. Their imagination run wild. Uh, They they have their their own ideas and their their own concepts of God. Uh, Throughout this sermon, if you go back to Acts chapter 7, notice here, I want to show that the emphasis of this sermon is all upon God. Notice with me in Acts chapter uh, 7 verse 2. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Let me ask you this. Did Abraham appear unto God, or did God appear unto Abraham? God appeared unto Abraham. Not the reverse. When? When he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Sharan. We go down in verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land. Who who said that this land uh, would be His? Was it Abraham that declared and claimed this land? Or was it God that said this land would be yours and to your seed? It was God. God spoke. Notice in verse 9, "...and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph uh, into Egypt." But God was with him. Now, we know the wonderful story of Joseph, but it's not really about Joseph as much as it is about God. And by the way, that's not what I said. That's what Joseph said. Remember what Joseph said when he uh, was in Egypt and he revealed himself to his brothers? What did he say? He says, ye sold me, but God sent me. The God of glory. It's not about me. It's not about you and you selling me. It's about God sending me to preserve your life. We keep going through this uh, uh, sermon. Notice, uh, if we turn the page over, at least turn the page in in, uh, my Bible, verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham. Uh, See, uh, it began with Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham. But notice here, as the history unfolds, it seems that those promises are not being attained. But yet God is all throughout. He is seen all throughout the promises of God, that which God has sworn, that which God has done. In verse 25, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by His hand would deliver them, but they understood not. They understood not what? What God was doing. That's what was going on. A verse saying, notice verse 31. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him. Who spoke here? Was it Moses speaking to God or was it God speaking to Moses? It was God speaking to Moses. What did he say? Verse 32. I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You see, it's not about Jacob. It's not about Isaac. It's not about Abraham. It is about the God of Abraham. It's about the God of Jacob. It's about the God of Isaac. It's not about any of those men. They were having a distorted view of men, of their history, of the temple, of the law, of Moses. And he says, it's all about God. Are you not forgetting? He goes on to say in the next page, as he talks about Moses, verse 35, this Moses whom they refused, saying, who may thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send. It's not about Moses. Remember, Moses didn't want to go. God sent him. Verse 37, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you. Who raised up Moses? Moses didn't get stirred up on his own and says, I'm going to do this. He had tried to do that earlier. No, no. It was God that came to Moses who spoke to him out of the burning bush. It was God that raised up Moses to, to be uh, a ruler and to bring them out of the, out of the nation of Egypt. Notice verse 42. Well, look at the, the context. Verse 40, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And God turned and gave them up to worship the host of the heavens. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Verse 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. You go back to the time of Joshua and then King Saul and King David. Who was driving out all the enemies? It was not David. It was not Joshua. God drove them out. We have to refocus. This is not about the history of Israel per se. It's about the God, the history of Israel. The God of glory hath appeared. You see, we see first of all the exaltation of God, but then we we think about those words, the God of glory appeared. So we see the exaltation of God, but also we see the appearance of God. You see, the God of glory appeared and He spoke to Moses. He had words for Moses. Now, those words are important because, remember, the promises to to Abraham are threefold. A land, a seed, right? Those were the the two main ones. There was to be a blessing, curse, curse, Are those who curse you, bless those who bless you? So there's the the, the promise of uh, a blessing, the promise of a land, and the promise of a seed. But we know in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, that when Abraham heard about this seed, he did not see it as seeds as our plural, but as seed, singular, which is Christ. What was this all about, Obviously, he's going to turn the attention of the Sanhedrin council towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, he basically says, God has spoken. God spoke through Abraham, uh, to Abraham and through Abraham. He spoke to Jacob and through Jacob. Concerning who? Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke to Isaac and through Isaac. He spoke to Joseph and through Joseph. Uh, He spoke to Moses and through Moses. You see, God has spoken because, and, and worked because he is interested in man. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God has spoken. God has appeared. Again, what is interesting to note is that God did not appear unto Abraham in Judea, nor did God appear unto Abraham in Jerusalem, nor did God appear to Abraham in the temple. God appeared unto Abraham in Mesopotamia. Luke 1.68, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people. God, the God of glory... By the way, whose glory we cannot share with another, whose glory, by the way, as we read Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We do not deserve, nor do we merit any such exaltation as God, the God of glory. We cannot attain unto that glory. We are not worthy of that glory. But yet the God of glory hath appeared unto us knowing that we are not worthy. Knowing that we are incapable of attaining that glory. We fall short of it. So that He could do what? So that He could reconcile us to Himself. And so that He, uh, again, uh, could, uh, could uh, bring us into His glory. You see, the exaltation of God, the appearance of God, but thirdly, the experience of man. I'm going to end this with this here, but He says, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. You know what that means, that God spoke to Abraham. We read about what we've just finished our study through the book of Genesis. God spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Joseph. We we find God speaking throughout the Old Testament, also the the New Testament, but we we think about, I'm interested here because why is it so important for Stephen to begin by saying the God of glory? You see, God is exalted. God has glory appeared, but think about the experience of man when God speaks, when God, uh, God appears, when we get a glimpse of the glory of God, what should that produce in us? What is it that happens when God speaks, when God appears? Let's look at a few of those references. Let's first go to the book of Genesis in chapter 28. I hope we see a pattern here. Genesis 28, notice with me, let's begin reading in verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he lighted up a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place. Okay, I want to make sure that was not my phone ringing there. Notice here as we keep reading. And he dreamed, verse 12, and behold, a ladder set upon on the, uh, set up on the earth, and the top of it reached the heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and I will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. It's interesting that Jacob makes this comment that God was in this place as he came to Beersheba, and he says, The Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. We know later Jacob would have an experience, if you would, an encounter, if you go with me, to Genesis 32. In Genesis 32, Jacob is about to meet Esau. God has already revealed himself to Jacob, and Jacob has been, as his name tells us, he's been a a trickster, a conniver, a supplanter. But in Genesis 30, right before he's about to meet Esau, the Bible says, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh, and he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Whereof is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. What happened to Jacob earlier? He grabbed a hold of that man he was wrestling with, and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, what did God tell Moses to do as Moses drew near? Take off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You're in the presence of God. God is revealing Himself to you. Take off your shoes. Isaiah chapter 6. You remember how Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? The strain filled the temple. They were saying, "Holy, holy, holy!" And what did Isaiah do? He he looked at himself. He he humbled himself. He fell before the Lord, and he says, "I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." Return with me to the book of Job and Job chapter forty. Job had gone through an intense trial in his life. He had lost his children lost his possessions, lost his health. His encouraging wife says, curse God and die. Not too encouraging. He's debating with his friends, and all of his friends speak throughout the book of Job, and Job responds. And then finally, when we reach towards the end of the book of Job, God speaks. Isn't it interesting that nothing changes when man speaks? But as soon as God speaks... Everything becomes clear for Job. Now what happened to Job? Notice what happened in Job 40. Moreover the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered uh, uh, the, the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job says, I, I can't say nothing to God. I can't answer those questions. I am not God. I'll repent. I'll, I'll, uh, um, I am a vile man and go over to verse 42. What happened to Job in this discussion as God speaks to Job? Then Job answered the Lord and said in verse 40, in chapter 42, verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. And here it is what he says, verse five. This is all that Job learned through all those trials. Ready? Verse five. I had, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. And what happens when he sees the Lord? Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We could go to the New Testament. You remember Revelation chapter 1? John sees the vision of the Lord in Revelation chapter 1. And verse 17, notice... Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. But notice here, when John saw Him, we won't take time to read through this vision, but notice verse 17, When I saw Him, Revelation 1, I fell at His feet as dead, and He laid His right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Stephen begins with the God of glory, about the God who appeared unto men. But we have to think and we cannot ignore the experience of man with the God of glory. The God of glory who has appeared. What is the experience of man? Well, again and again, when man truly sees God for who He is, when when man sees the God of glory and who He is, man can do nothing else but humble himself in the presence of God. For his heart to break, he sees God. Uh, and uh, as uh, Job said, I, I, my, mine eyes have seen thee and I abhor myself. I can't stand myself. I can't stand the vileness and the wickedness of my heart when I am in the presence of God. And therefore, I can do nothing else but repent in dust and ashes. John saw the Lord high and lifted up, he says, and he, he fell at his feet as dead. You, you know what? what happens when a person dies? They don't move and they don't speak. There's nothing to say in the presence of God. Why? Because He's the God of glory. What is this message all about? It's about helping the Sanhedrin council recognize, turn your attention off the temple. Turn your attention off Moses, off the law, and off all those things that you hold so dear. Understand that God is the God of glory. He is way beyond you. And that God has decided to communicate and to reveal Himself uh, to our fathers and to you today. And the only response that man has, or that man ought to have, is to fall at his feet as dead. What happened? We know what happened. Go back to Acts 7. The Sanhedrin council did not fall. I'm not I'm saying at the feet of Stephen. I'm saying at the feet of God. What did they do? Stephen says. Notice Acts 7. Verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. We're resisting the Holy Ghost. You know how do we know that we're not resisting God? When we see Him as the God of glory, who's revealed Himself to us, and we fall before Him. There is no other option in the presence of God. What does the Bible say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Every knee shall... Bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm saying to us, we look at this message, but I I want to say here, what is this message about? Let's not get, uh, uh, get uh, if you would, into the trivias of all of the little details about Abraham and what happened with Abraham and what happened with Jacob and what Jacob did and what Isaac did and all the chaos in those families and all that was happening. Let's look at God throughout all of this and what God wanted to do with man. And despite the wickedness and the ignorance of man, God was faithful in His glory throughout all of that. What is not revealed, is: you remember Abraham? Who did not want to be the chosen one? Ishmael. He said, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Who did Jacob want to be uh, the one uh, inheriting the blessing? He wanted it to be Esau, not Jacob. Again and again, man fails. Man's in trouble. Man's heart is wicked. But here we are reminded this message is about God. You know, I hope that when we we come to church, we open the Word of God. We don't uh, walk around puffed up and saying, oh, "I got more knowledge about God." I hope we leave this place humbled and if you were amazed at who God is, not saying, "Oh wow, wow, what a message!" No, but saying, "What a God we have—the God of glory, who, uh, who who of whom we are not worthy to speak to and to come into His presence." has appeared. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to us. And all we could say is bow ourselves and say, I'm listening. That's that's why Stephen said, would you hearken? Would you humble yourself? This is an important message. You see, we go through all those motions every Sunday. We sing songs. We Give our offerings to the Lord. We have special music, and all those things are wonderful, and a message is preached, and all those things, but it's not about any of those things. What I want to know is what is our response to God? What do we think of God? What's our opinion of Him? Are we truly humbled that He has appeared, that He has spoken? And our experience when we come to church, what is that experience? When we open the Word of God, what is that experience? Do we walk around thinking about how great we are? I say to us, if that is how we leave the church service, if that is how we leave the time we open the Word of God and consider God and read about God, if we leave having a puffed up idea of ourselves, we have had the wrong experience. There's only one type of experience when God speaks and when we know Him. And that is we humble ourselves in His sight. You see, truly, that is what was missing in the Sanhedrin Council do you see the scene, Stephen standing here in the middle? You see, and I, this picture in my mind, I don't know what it looked like. There's ideas today about what that stand here in the council looked like. But you see them elevated there on the little podiums up there? Nose up in the air, thinking about, like all the other apostles, these ignorant men. And all along, they can't see their own wickedness and their own pride So may the Lord help us. As we come to this message and study this message over the next few weeks, let's not neglect to see the God of glory. We're going to look through the history of Israel, but it's not about that. It's about what God is doing. And may the Lord help us to see that. Are you aware that the God of glory that did all this wants to do something in our lives? Personally? People say, well, Nobody can know that God exists. Oh yes, I know God exists. So how can you know? Because I walk with Him and I talk with Him. You can't tell me my wife does not exist. She's had an impact on my life. Neither can you tell me that God doesn't exist. Because I know who He is. But you know what that does? It humbles, affects my life. It gives me an experience like No other experience could provide. The God of glory, may the Lord help us. Father, we thank you this morning.